0: Indeed, Jesus is for me. He is for you. He loves us. And one of the great things, one of the great promises of our Lord is that because he said because I live you will live also. He said this in the context of his upcoming death. And uh the pipers today they're setting up for the memorial service for Jim, uh, uh, Miranda's uh, dad, who passed away recently. So let's remember them uh, as we pray and ask God to open up our hearts to this passage of Scripture. Very practical passage, Very, hopefully very encouraging passage of Scripture. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you love us. We declare it. And you told us, Lord, how we can love you in return. That's to keep your commandments. Your commandments are not burdensome. Lord, how could loving other people be burdensome? How could showing kindness be burdensome? Lord, this is what you want from us. Lord, you've given us the challenge also of of proclaiming the truth. How can that be burdensome? It's a challenge, but it's not burdensome at all. So, Father, we also lift up to you as well, we, in, in light of the promise that you made of comfort and peace when those that we love so much pass away from us, knowing that the person who in this life loved you, knowing, Lord, that now they're now enjoying your presence. Lord, we pray for the five and We ask, God, that you would help them. Lord, as they're grieving, Lord, help them to remember and go into places where, where we cannot go. Lord, that uh, you can give them the comfort, you can give them the peace that they so desperately need right now. Lord, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. So we thank you, Lord, for being our hope. We now ask, God, that you would open up this passage of Scripture to us. Help us have a good heart and good mind. Help us to, to really pay attention to what your Spirit is telling us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, David writes in Psalm 139, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Indeed, our bodies, along with all of our body parts, are amazing. You know, Even if you got a broken finger like mine <laughs> that broke when I was, I think, 15 years old or whatever. But there are those over the years who say that certain parts of our bodies are actually leftovers from our evolutionary stages as we went from being primates to humans. According to the Ministry Answers in Genesis, in the 1890s, German anatomist Robert Wiedersheim listed 86 such, quote, leftover parts, calls them vestial organs. On his list was such body parts as the parathyroid, the pineal and the pituitary glands. These are leftovers now, he calls it. Tonsils, adenoids, appendix, third molars, as in wisdom teeth. And valves in veins, those are supposed to be leftovers, <laughs> Vest- vestigial organs. Can you imagine anyone today saying that vein valves are useless? I don't think so. Now, as most everybody knows, this many so-called useless vestigial organs are actually serving as very important parts of our bodies. Let me give you just three examples of these. Our coccyx, or tailbone was considered at one time useless and kind of left over from our evolutionary days, our tail, as in like tailbone, right? But further research reveals there are six muscles that are anchored to it, and they form a pelvic diaphragm and supports several internal organs in our intestinal regions. Without this muscular support, our internal organs would be in peril. They would be easily damaged. Now, the appendix was another so-called vestigial organ. Remember how when you were a kid, if you're a little bit older, you know, the doctors would say, hey, get that appendix taken out right away, right? Maybe they're joining up business. I don't know. But But further study indicates that it serves a very useful purpose. It's a, quote, unquote, safe house for beneficial bacteria in the large intestine, helping the colon to recover when it's exposed to a pathogen. Didn't you know that? I had no idea until I read this. But many evolutionists say that we no longer need body hair. You know, that's kind of like a should be left over from, from the ape days or whatever you call it. They tell us that we have evolved past our need for body hair. Now, I don't know about you, but I need some of this on top of my head. <laughs> Protect me from the sun. I need more. But again, further research shows that our hair system, our hair system, not just our individual hairs, the hair system, has an important part to play. Every one of our hair follicles, regardless of size, is supplied with sensory nerves. Hmm. It's described as those in, by those in the field as called um, uh, me- mechanoreceptors. I tried to practice that name. Mechanoreceptors. And basically, our hairs are like small levers that when they're moved by any physical stimulus, including the air, Sensory signals are sent to our brain. Another important function of hair follicles is the repairing and restoring of our surface skin, the epidermis, following cuts and deep abrasions. Now, if you have any abrasions on you, the hair is helping repair that, believe it or not. If it were not for our abundant hair follicles and sweat ducts, even normal run-of-the-mill skin abrasions might require skin transplants. It's amazing, isn't it? The muscles in our hair system help squeeze the oil from the oil ducts that lie below the surface to bring the oil out onto our skin. Also, when we're cold, contraction of our hair muscles produce heat. And if that's not enough to produce warmth in our bodies, we begin to do what? Shiver, yeah. So body parts, we have them. We have many of them, but each of our parts are necessary for our health And well-being, even if at the present time and present level of research, some see these things, some of these things as leftovers from evolution. You know, it's just that science hasn't really caught up with divine truth and wisdom yet, right? But today we're going to talk about, continue to talk about approaching God with the power that he's given us, the power of the Holy Spirit. We are, as true worshipers of God, desire more than anything else, don't we? That we give Him worship, give the Lord worship, and that He will accept our worship. Otherwise, what are we doing here? We're just wasting our time and His, right? And when we exercise the Lord's gifts in the way He wants us to, it passes His scrutiny, and then He will tell us on the day of evaluation I accepted your worship. On July 12th, 2020, wouldn't those be very sweet words to hear on the day that we stand before the Lord? Now, we talked last week about spiritual gifts, or should I say, various ways the Holy Spirit manifests himself through us, you know, shining out of our cracked lives, so to speak, which make up the clay pot of this thing called the church. Now, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, that there is one manifestation through the Holy Spirit, working through every follower of Jesus, showing itself individually what Paul calls gifts. Some manifest the gift of the Holy Spirit in their lives by displaying utterances of wisdom. Some by a word of knowledge or faith or healing or speaking in tongues or even interpretation of tongues. I also pointed out that the gifts are given sovereignly to each Christ follower by God himself. We don't choose it. He gives it to us. So now what? Every one of us who are in the kingdom of God has received the Holy Spirit. Is that not true? God has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to say that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar is Lord. Well, today for us to say Jesus is Lord is a big deal. Would you agree with that? But when Paul wrote this letter to say Jesus is Lord was uber important. For there was another person claiming lordship in that day. His name was Caesar Nero. And Nero was bloodthirsty. He was beginning to like the idea that he be addressed as Lord and worshiped as a God. Kind of like a guy named Kim Jong-un today. You know, he's kind of like that. Well, one author stated this about how important it was for the citizens of the Roman Empire back then to worship the Caesar. If you were a citizen in the Roman Empire, you were expected to worship Caesar. Quote, if you live within the empire, then you owed the empire or the emperor supreme allegiance. If you were back then, what would you do? In other words, Jesus is Lord is a countercultural, counterpolitical statement of the first order. Jesus is Lord meant that Caesar was not and took great courage to say that Jesus is Lord, and the Holy Spirit was the source of that strength that enabled the Christian in Corinth to bow the knee only to Jesus Christ. Now, we know in our part of the world, it costs very little to be a Christian today, doesn't it? Although the, it's getting a, a tad more expensive, I would think. Now, I'm convinced that that all out persecution of those who say Jesus is Lord with emphasis will come to our shores sooner rather than later. When we say that things are out of step with our culture, such as what God says concerning the LGBTQI+, plus, is tantamount to hate speech in increasing measure. See, we probably will be able to say, Jesus says, Lord, that's all well and fine, as long as we say and agree with what the culture says as well, about things like the LGBTQI plus community. Anything less will get us in trouble. And most recently, as you probably have heard, the governor of California banned singing in worship services. Even if you were to wear a mask and you had social distancing, you're not allowed to sing in a worship service. My question is, who's going to enforce that? (laughs) Maybe some watered-down pastors. I don't know, but just saying. Now, the pastor could be arrested if the pastor were to say something like, you know, I'm not going to go along with this. Now, he could be arrested, not because he follows Jesus. Now, get this. He, He wouldn't be arrested for that, but he would be arrested for not enforcing the standard, not enforcing the prohibition against singing in church. But the truth is, Jesus is Lord even over COVID-19 droplets. Would you agree with that? But we are to ultimately not fear COVID anyway. Isn't that right? Because the most it can do, no matter what, is to kill the body only. See, Jesus said, who we need to fear and what we need to fear is the one who has the authority to kill the body and cast that person into hell. As I said all along, we need to take precautions But we also are to know that our lives are in God's hands, not in the hands of the CDC. So what about the gifts? What about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit? How do we apply them to the body of Christ as we approach God and offer him worship that he will accept? This is what our passage today, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31 is all about. So if you don't have it open yet, please open it up. We're going to read through it. But today there's one message in this passage that Paul is trying to make loud and clear that all of us who are in the body of Christ belong in the body of Christ. Every one of us who have been born again by the Spirit of God are in the body of Christ. We cannot declare that we don't belong here due to certain criteria, which we're going to talk about in a bit nor can we declare that we don't need one another as followers of Jesus. All of us are part of a bigger cosmic picture called the body of Christ. As we see, as we're going to see, each of us make up a small part of Christ's body and all are needed to paint the picture of Jesus. But before we actually dive into the text, let me remind us that Paul was not writing primarily with the universal church in mind. Now, he was writing primarily to the Corinthian church. And though Paul did tell others to have his letters read in various places and various churches, primarily he was addressing the local church, and here particularly the church in Corinth. Now, this has become important as I draw this passage to an application point for for us. Now, this doesn't mean that only the Corinthian believers benefited from Paul's letters that he wrote, but we are to remember that the Bible was not written to us, right? That's one of the Bible, rule, Bible study rules. It was written for us. See, just like 1 Corinthians was not written to the believers in Ephesus, but they still could benefit of the letter from 1 Corinthians. So let's read the first two verses together of our passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now here we see that Paul is reminding the Corinthian Christians of what they all have in common. And this, and this goes regardless of their status in life, all have a common identity. All of them have a shared reality. It's the body of Christ that they're, that they're part of. But we need to see theirs and our shared reality in Christ in two vital ways. And the first is that we have experienced a spirit baptism. All of us in the body of Christ, we've experienced a baptism. Now, some of us haven't been baptized in water yet, but all of us who are Christians have experienced a spiritual baptism. We've been baptized literally in the Spirit. Now, baptism literally means to immerse or to dip. So as a Baptist church, guess what? That's why we baptize like that. A full immersion. We don't sprinkle. You know, we don't pour. We fully immerse. We dunk the guy. We dunk the girl, right? Because baptism means to immerse. You know that, Norma. <laughs> the water is out, yes, yes. In other words, we are fully in. When it comes to spirit baptism, we are fully in now in the body of Christ. That's a great thing, isn't it? There's not a person is not partly in and partly out. Or as I heard one person say a number of years ago, and it still haunts me to this day, I'm a part-time Christian. No, you're not. <laughs> You're either a full-time Christian or you're a no-time Christian. You're not a part-time. You're not halfway in, halfway out. Every Christian is like that. Every person is like that. Either they're a Christian or they're not a Christian. Some people have said it this way, you're either a saint or an ain't. And as people who have fully entered into the body of Christ, we all experience the life of Christ all together. Spiritual blood flows into and through the members of the body of Christ. Spiritual nerves reach to each and every member of the body. And that's why Paul, when he says, when one member hurts, we all hurt. Because what happens when we smash our thumb with a hammer? (laughs) Right? Our whole body reacts. We immediately drop the hammer. Our entire body is focused on the one appendage. Our heart beats faster. Perhaps we respond verbally. We sometimes marshal our entire body and we sit down. We see the damage with our eyes, and we respond accordingly, like, like maybe put ice on it. And if there's blood along with the smash, the other parts of our body come rushing in and to help to ease the pain. All of this happens without me training my body parts to do anything, right? It's just a natural reflex. It's a natural response. And the point is that every member is tied together. The other way we need to see our spirit baptism is that we maintain and retain our individuality. We have unity in diversity here. As Paul mentioned here, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, we don't stop being who we were before the baptism of the spirit. We still are who we are. is that true? See, we don't get rid of our individual distinctiveness when we get baptized into the body of Christ. Now, some would say that Paul, since he tells us that there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, all of you are one in Christ, that means God has given us some kind of a spiritual neuralizer treatment along with our spiritual baptism. Remember the movies Men in Black? A little neuralizer, you know, to forget where you are. It's as though we need to forget where we've come from the moment that we get baptized in the Spirit into the body of Christ. And that's not true. Because God's sovereignty dictated where we were born, into what family we grew up in, individual experiences and pains and joys, all these things and more make us who we are. God doesn't forget all the stuff that brought us to where we are today. And neither should we. See, all of us have roots. All of us came from somewhere. Would you agree with that? It's good and right to know and appreciate our past. And what makes us as individual members of the body of Christ so fascinating is how God and his sovereignty brought us to where we are. That's why it's so cool to be able to interrelate with one another, to sit down and hear one another's stories. God welcomes us in Christ, and we are to do the exact same thing thing with one another, and spiritual gifts, in large measure, help us to do this. But now, get ready for the biggest word in the English language, and what is that word? But, see, we all have a personal past. We all have an individual family identity. We all have a gender identity, and according to God's truth, there's only two, true But now we belong to an even greater identity that transcends. It goes beyond our own personal identity. And all who are in Christ are members of the one body of Christ. And it is upon this foundation, this all encompassing, all surpassing identity, that we can say to one another, You belong here. It's membership in the body of Christ and the identity that goes along with it that says, I belong here. Regardless of what you think of me, I belong here. Regardless of what I think of you, you belong here. See, I'm a Caucasian. I'm a male. I have English roots. I'm a father, a grandfather, and so on. But with all that I am and all the experiences and descriptions about myself, the reason why I belong here is because I've repented of my sins and I trust Christ and I've been spiritually baptized into his body. See, I received the Holy Spirit baptism and you have too if you are a real Christian, if you are a real follower of Christ. So let's continue with the text in verses 14 to 20. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So what's Paul saying here? In brief, God considers every person, every member of the body of Christ, occupying a very important place. Now, this is true whether a member is a spiritual foot, an eye, a hand, or even an armpit. See, God has sovereignly placed every member where he wants him or her to be. But we all have a tendency to not appreciate that. You know, right? Sometimes we listen to others say that we are kind of like extraneous parts, like the learned people who used to say the appendix was expendable. Sometimes you look to where we are in comparison with others and conclude that we're not important. And this is true oftentimes not only with individuals, but even among churches. See, if we're not careful, Grace United as a whole, we can look at larger churches or more influential churches, and we can conclude that we're not important. We're not nearly as important as they are because we're not making as big of an impact on our culture and on our society. Or that we don't have a thriving children's ministry. Or that we don't give a million dollars a year to foreign missions. And I've actually, I was associated with a church that passed that mark a long time ago. So whether as individuals or local church, we can erroneously conclude that we are only a spiritual foot or a spiritual coccyx, not worthy to consider ourselves as part of of Christ's body. But our personal assessment does not matter as to our place in the body of Christ. Whose assessment counts? Either as an individual or as a congregation. Let's look again in verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. Now, this is not to say that as individual Christians or as Grace United, we do everything right or that we are always pleasing to the Lord. Tragically, that's true. Neither does it mean that we cannot be more effective you know, in our world, in God's world, I should say. We can always walk closer to the Lord. Isn't that true? We can all set a more powerful witness in the neighborhood and in the culture. But let's not give up. Let's not allow our self-assessment over our lack of prominence in the body of Christ cloud our vision and cloud our place. In the body of Christ. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 tells us the importance of the phrase, keep on keeping on. When he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith, fellow Christian. God is keeping score in our privilege is to walk with him, being available to be used of him whenever he calls on us. Now, artist Sandra Jelinek produced a unique picture of Jesus as many people view him. Since none of us has a clue as to what he looked like, even those who claim to have died and come back and tell us about it, right? This is how Sandra Jelinek describes him. And I say describe him because this drawing is not just any drawing. See, this drawing is made up of all the words of the Gospel of John from start to finish. Isn't it amazing? Starting up at the upper left-hand corner. I saw it in the beginning. It's right there, and it goes all the way to the end. It's incredible. But now imagine, if you will, the letters in this drawing having a conversation with one another. Okay? And the letters could somehow leap off the page if they didn't want to be there. Now, imagine that the only letters that spelled Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, would volunteer to stay on the page. For after all, if I can't spell Jesus, then what good is my letter? What do you think that drawing would look like? Pretty sparse, I think. But see, all the letters in the Gospel of John, every one of them are vital to paint an accurate picture of Jesus. We need every letter. We need every member in the body of Christ. So what do we have so far? Every Christian has been completely immersed into the body of Christ. God has placed every one of us, regardless of how we see ourselves, into the body of Christ. And he puts us there just as he wants it to be. So as Christians, there is no room to compare ourselves with others as to our importance. What counts is God's assessment of who we are in the body of Christ. Now in verses 21 to 27, Paul turns the tables and cautions the more prominent members of Christ's body against arrogance regarding other members they deem as less than them. Remember, all the divisions of the church in Corinth, I mean, people were, were standing up, being puffed up with pride, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and Paul now was talking to these people who think that they're kind of better than others. So let's read verses 21 to 27. "The eye cannot say to the hand, "I have no need of you," nor again the head to the feet. "I have no need of you." On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think are honorable, less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all Suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So, what is the reality in every local church congregation? There are some who have more real needs than others. Isn't that true? Whether physical or emotional health concerns or lack of personal resources or almost an infinite variety of things, once again, God's sovereignty draws people from every area, from all kinds of needs into an individual local church. And the dynamic is such that those who don't have as many needs can minister to those who are a little bit more needy. Notice how Paul describes these vital members of the body of Christ. Those that seem to be weaker, in verse 22. Those that we think less honorable and unpresentable, in verse 23. In verse 24, Paul refers to the part that lacks honor. So those who seem to be weaker, those who are thought to be less honorable and unpresentable, are the kinds of people on the surface that Paul cautions those who seem to have things all together, to not look down their noses at, and by the way of attitude, Paul in essence is saying, "Hey, all put together, guy, don't consider them as less than you are, but rather consider that these very ones to be the least of these," as Jesus talked about in Matthew twenty-five, parable of sheep and the goats. So, if you would please, turn there with me. I want the, I want us to read these verses you know, together, just to kind of give us a, a, again reminder of what Jesus is talking about here. The parable of the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25, verses 35 to 40. He's talking to the sheep here, the righteous, okay? And he's saying, hey, you sheep, guys on my right, you know, enter the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Once again, who are Jesus' brothers? Us. (laughs) Fellow sheep. Fellow sheep. Our spiritual siblings. That's who Jesus, the least of Jesus' brothers are. When a brother or sister in Christ has a need, Paul basically says, this is one of the least of Jesus' brothers. And we who are able to meet the need are to meet the need. And so when one member suffers, all are concerned. All suffer together. And when the least of Jesus' brothers comes out the other side of the trial, because the need is met, guess what we can do then? We can rejoice because we came together to meet the need. <laughs> but it looks good on paper, doesn't it? it looks great. But how often do Christians automatically spring into action to meet the needs of needy Christians in a local congregation? I'm thinking overall now. Does it happen all that often? I don't know. We've all heard horror stories that speak the story loud and clear. If you're you're the kind of people who have it all together, if you're the nice and good and kind and, and nice, nice person, you belong here. But if you've got needs and you're a little bit more off-putting, go find something else. Go find somewhere else to to do this. I'm grateful to say it's Grace United, and as your pastor, I've witnessed incredible need meeting here over the years that we've been Grace United. But we've had our share of people who have taken advantage and have left. Some who were with us for years no longer saw a need to be here and so what they do? They said, see ya, I'm out of here. And the pain is great, isn't it? Well, why is it so great? Well, what's the analogy that Paul is using here? It's that of a body. And when a member of the body of Christ leaves because they've been offended and choose not to deal with the issues or they feel like they just need a change, or for any number of reasons, what's that like? Is it too much of a stretch to say that we're kind of being dismembered? A knee leaves us for no good reason. And the body of Christ at Grace United now has only one spiritual knee. We're now walking wounded. Now, why am I saying this? Why am I saying it in this way? Because in our culture of choices, 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 the enemy of the church of Jesus Christ can use the idea of boredom or options or self-perceived slights to divide his body. But we ought to see being together as the body of Christ at Grace United or any local church which truly honors the Lord as a tremendous privilege as each member contributes. See, we all need one another. None of us are allowed to say, I don't need you. Because when we do that, we put holes in the picture of unity that God is painting here at Grace United and every other local church as well. Now most of us have seen collages that are made up of pictures, right? You've seen it before, like the one up here. This particular one is a portrait of a dog made up of the pictures of that dog. All pictures are important in this overall portrait. Now, God has called us together by his sovereignty to be unified and to love one another. But when I act as though I don't need you, what happens to the picture of love and unity that God is painting at Grace United? The collage then, in increasing number, takes away one or two or several of the pictures. And before we know it, the watching world can't even tell what kind of a portrait this is. And so Paul sums up his point in verse 27. All true individual Christians are members of one body of Christ. All parts of the body work together. Now in verses 28 to 31, Paul turns on his attention and gets specific, and he gets rhetorical. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues? Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? What's the answer to those questions? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, Paul here lists not mere gifts in the abstract, but now as people exercising these gifts. Let me walk us through just one example because of our lack of time. Notice how Paul places apostleship as the first one. Why is that? Because an apostle is one sent by Christ to start a work. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.10, as an apostle, he laid the foundation as a wise master builder. He preached Christ to them. And there can only be one foundation layer, true? Only one foundation, and only one person can do it, as it were, and this is the apostle. But this is Paul, a man sent by Christ to start the church in Corinth. As I mentioned last week, God works the manifestation of his spirit through the members according to the needs of the congregation. Again, someone had to start things. In the church of Corinth, it was Paul that did it. Then finally, notice how Paul drives home the point of God's choice in how he distributes the gifts according to the needs of the congregation. And in verse 31, we see how Paul takes all these very visible gifts of the Spirit and drives home the issue of the greater gifts. Now, one would think, You've got all these miraculous things going on right here. Miracles, healings, those things, that they would be the greater gifts because, after all, these are supernatural works. As I said last week, these supernatural manifestations of miracles and healings and tongues and all that kind of stuff can be counterfeited. It can even be misused, right, by the faith healer or by the miracle worker to ply their own trade. You know, by the way, if uh, you want to see me do a miracle, you got to pay a little money here. Come and get your miracle. We hear this over and over again. But what are those greater gifts that Paul's talking about here? Paul didn't say. Uh, but he will allude to them later on in chapter 14, and we're going to unpack it then. But Paul is now ready then to launch them into the stratosphere of what God really wants of his people. And the greatest manifestation of the Spirit of God is indeed the most excellent way, the way of God's love, 1 Corinthians 13 style. And with that, we will close 1 Corinthians 12. So how can we apply this to our lives? We do need to apply this, right? All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man, the woman, the young person of God may be thoroughly equipped, furnished to all good works. We've got to take this and apply it somehow. It's a simple matter, really, a simple concept. All of us in Christ are on the same level. Would you agree with that? All of us are to care for one another equally. When we see a need and we have the resources to meet that need, guess what we do? We meet the need. Whether it's time or talent or treasure, let's make the first move to meet the need. We don't have to have somebody's permission. We just do it, right? The manifestation of the Spirit will show itself in how we care for one another. See, because in a very real sense, how the manifestation is labeled doesn't make a whole lot of difference. We can't just sit back and say, well, you know, I don't have the gift of giving, so therefore I shouldn't give. <laughs> we shouldn't be doing this. We should say, Lord, I'm eager. Help me to do this. Help me to meet the need. See, if God is going to use any of us to perform a miracle, that's a manifestation of the Spirit. If he uses us to speak his truth to us by way of a Bible-based prophecy, that's a manifestation of the Spirit. When I was in the military, many moons ago, we had all kinds of military exercises. And when I reported for those 12-hour shifts for days on end, there was a lot of waiting around. Of it. Then it came our turn to play in the exercise. In the overall scheme of things, it was a small part. Sometimes we, our little part only lasted a few minutes. Other times we were right in the center of things. And at the end of the exercise, the entire installation literally was graded on how well we did. If the base overall did outstanding, we all actually received rewards. We call them fruit salad. We put a little ribbon on our our shirt or on our uh, jacket. But regardless of how we all did, at the end of the exercise, guess what happened to my paycheck? It was the same. Whether I was right in the middle of the action or whether I literally sat on my backside for the entire thing. It didn't matter. In other words, I was paid to be available. And my challenge to all of us is that very same thing. Be available. See, God has given us his divine resources. And when the heavenly commander calls us into action by his spirit, or we see a brother or sister that has a need that we can meet, We can simply say this to the Lord as a prayer. Lord, I'm available. I'm available. Yes, Lord, I will do this. I will meet that need of my brother and my sister. See, the greatest ability that God gave us is what? Our availability. And may we, by the power of his spirit, be available that he might be glorified in his church. Let's pray. Lord, you are a God that works. We would not have known you except by your working. But Lord, you didn't work hard because, Lord, you just said there it was and there it was. But Lord, you've called us to the work. You called us to be practically applying these things. And Lord, we live in a fallen world. We were born into a fallen state. And Lord, all of us are, in a sense, living out our death sentence because from the days of, of Adam and Eve in the garden, when, when we were told, when, when we heard, we'll know we'll be like God, knowing good and evil. We have, since then, as a human race, we've been trying to decide what's good and what's evil. And so, Lord, we're living out our own death sentence. But by your spirit, Lord, You've given us the power. You've given us the incentive. You've given us the desire to live your ways. And your commandments are not burdensome. Help us to live them out. Help us to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters. And that is what is going to please you. We thank you, Father, for these things. And now we ask God as we, as we close our time of worship, help us, Lord, not to stop worshiping as we leave this place but help us to continue worshiping because, Lord, you're out there as well as in here. Lord, I pray that you help us as we give to take these monies that, and, and make good stewards of them so that we can share your gospel, to share the needs of the ministry here, not only just here, but around the world as well. And we thank you for these things in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.